Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. The scripture reading today is taken from several verses in the book of Proverbs. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble and a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And as you are seated, uh, again, let me introduce myself. I'm Brant. I'm the pastor here at Christ City Church. Um, but I want to invite you now just to come before the Lord in prayer uh, with me to seek his help as we look at this uh, topic in the book of Proverbs. Gracious God, we come to you and we come with open hearts asking that you would reveal to us your generosity and your goodness and your mercy this morning. Lord, you're better than we yet realize that you are. Lord, you have wisdom and riches for us in your word to guide us on the path of life that we might learn to live well as your people. God, I pray that you would open our eyes and see your generosity and kindness even chiefly in Jesus, who has become our friend through the gospel. We ask that you do a mighty thing for your name. This morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Christ City, and welcome here. We are continuing this morning our series in the book of Proverbs on the topic of wisdom. I'm learning what it means for us as human beings to, to so orient ourselves to God and in God's world that we learn to actually live our lives well in all areas of our lives. And this morning, we are looking at the topic of friendship because to live wisely, to live well in this world, you cannot overstate how important wise friendships are. If you want to grow in wisdom, you need to have good and wise friends. You cannot overstate how 
good and how beautiful and how important friendship is. I stumbled across an awesome quote about the joy and goodness of friendship this week from a famous author named C.S. Lewis, an author who uh, lived some time ago in England. He said this, he said, is any pleasure on earth as great as a circle of Christian friends by a fire? Maybe you can think about that for the men's retreat. And he says, surely not. Friendship is the greatest of worldly goods. Certainly to me, it is the chief happiness of life. If I had to give a piece of advice to a young man about a place to live, I should think I would say, sacrifice almost everything to live where you can be near your friends. Isn't that beautiful? Friendship is beautiful. Friendship is so important for us as human beings, just the way that God's built us and made us and constituted us. And it's so important that actually from the ancient philosophers who lived long, long, long ago to today and our modern psychologists and sociologists, there's an agreement about the importance of friendship. And they agree that one of the greatest predictors of a good and happy life are happy friendships. I know for some of you this morning that even mentioning this, though, is, is a bit painful. The reality is that we live in a lonely world, maybe an increasingly fractured and divided world. But there's good news for all of us in Proverbs, and it's what I want to show you, because God himself wants to help you. He wants to guide you. And teach you how to choose wisely who your friends are and how to grow to become a wise friend to other people. So we're going to look at this together and I want you to know that your future is hopeful because God is generous and he has great wisdom for us this morning. Two points, we're going to look at choosing friends and becoming friends. How do we choose our friends and how do we become a friend to others? We'll start right away with choosing friends. Now, No one wants to be lonely. I don't want to be lonely. I'm sure you don't want to be lonely. We all want friends. But isn't it true in our lives that not everyone makes a good friend? We've gone down a path and we've become friends with someone and we've tried and it turned out that person wasn't a good friend and it didn't go well for them or for us. So as we look now at, at choosing friends, The question is, is there anything that we must be careful then as wise people or those that are growing in wisdom to avoid in wrong friendships or friendships that would be not good for us? And the fact is there are many things actually the Proverbs warn us about, about uh, not good friends. And Solomon's Proverbs, they're full of these warnings that he wants to give us to instruct us about choosing wisely. So I'm going to show you four of these things this morning before we move on to becoming a friend. So first off, first warning, Solomon, at the very beginning of this book to his sons, almost immediately warns them about a certain kind of friend. In verse 8, moving forward, he starts talking about the danger of choosing friends of poor character. Friends who are sinners. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, and also verse 10. It says, hear my son. Your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. He's exhorting his his sons to to stay close to 
the path of wisdom that I'm explaining to you. Hear my voice, listen to me, because there's a great danger in this world that you'll be drawn away from that. And he says in verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they pull you away from this path of wisdom, don't go along with them. So what Solomon understands, what he warns his kids about is that in life, little matters more than who you choose to be your friends. To the direction of your life. The outcome of your life. In fact, even the person today that you are becoming is all shaped by who your friends are. Isn't it true that we tend to love what our friends love? To talk like our friends talk. To value what our friends value. To pursue in life what our friends around us are pursuing. We probably all have stories of good ways and bad ways this has worked out. I'll share a couple from my own life. I still remember when I was 13 years old coming home from a football practice. My mom picking me up and I started swearing in the car with her as I was just detailing what was going on in the game. And I didn't realize what I'd done. And she gave me that stern look of surprise. And I was like, oh shoot, I think my friends, my friends have an influence on me. And then as I've gotten older, it's been the same. I shared last week uh, a time that was full of greed in my life and how I was shaped in my business practices when I was a small business owner. But if I, as I reflect back, and I'm culpable, it was my, my sin, but I also remember the way I was su- surrounded by some friends that constantly spoke about money. They constantly looked about how they might gain more money and how they had some unsavory practices in their own lives. And much more recently, I look at my life today and I'm so thankful for a number of friends who speak into my life, who are dear and rich and true friends, who love Jesus, who love his word, who love his church, and who inspire me and encourage me to pursue the things that really matter in life. See, friends matter. And of course, that isn't to say that we can't be friends with those who don't have good character. I know some of you have have many friends who aren't yet believers in Jesus, who aren't followers of Jesus yet. And maybe you're someone here who's not yet sure if you want to be a follower of Jesus yet yourself. I don't think it's saying that, but I think that the wise person in the book of Proverbs and heeding this warning, they pay attention to something. They look at the weight of the influence of the friends in their life. It's like a scale. And where are the weight of my friendships, especially my close friendships? What are they doing in my life? And they're careful to balance their friends firmly with those who will hold them and shape them toward life toward the riches of God's word, knowing that they want to be shaped in that direction. And they have a clear vision then in their lives with those who aren't yet there. When I spend time with those who then are my friends who aren't Christians, who aren't on the path of wisdom, I actually want to influence them. I'm seeking to be of value in their life, to to draw them towards the good life that Jesus would offer to them. So the first warning that we see in the book of Proverbs to beware of friends of poor character. Beware of spending all my time and being shaped by those who don't love the Lord. The second warning is this, and it's a subset of the danger of choosing friends with poor character. It's choosing friends who are fools. 
No fool is a heavy word. It's a big word. It's a powerful word. And in the book of Proverbs, the fool is defined in a particular way. The fool is defined as a person who rejects God's instruction, who's not willing to to sit under the word of God and the instruction from God. I mean, he's the one who made this world. We live in his world. It's kind of like ignoring the operating instructions for ourselves and for this world if I just reject him. And that, the Proverbs say, is the height of foolishness. Solomon warns his sons, don't build your friendships with fools, with those who reject God's instruction. Look at Proverbs 14, 7 to 9. Solomon says, leave the presence of a fool. For there you do not need words of knowledge. Not going to help you learn to live well and rightly in this world. It says, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, to see it rightly. But the folly of fools is deceiving. It says, fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. And in these verses, what Psalm's describing is the way that, that the, the fool rejects God's instruction and their path doesn't get brighter and brighter and clearer and clearer, but darker and darker as they don't know what is truly right and good. And he even describes, by contrast, this humble, wise person who comes before God with the guilt offering. Right? It's the Old Testament practice of coming to the temple of God, making atonement for sin. But as they do that, they're mocked by those who reject the very idea of sin or of guilt. And Solomon says, be careful. Be careful not to let the fool become your intimate friend. Why? Because the folly of fools is deceiving. So when our friends mock God's holiness, when they mock the reality of human sin and guilt, what it does is it blinds us to reality itself. We can't see how to live well in this world because we're blinded to the moral structure of the universe as it is. And when those mocking foolish words ring in our ears, we're not able to see ourselves for who we truly are, to know what is true about us. We're not even able to see who God is truly and rightly. And then when that happens, this world grows dark. We don't make progress in it in learning to, to, to live well as parents or, or friends or people in business or in the day-to-day stuff of life because we have grown blind, deceived by realities of what is good and beautiful and true according to God's word. But the third warning Solomon makes is this. Is third, beware of making friends with those who love to stir up conflict. In Proverbs 10, verse 12, he says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. There's a kind of friend, I'm sure you've met them, who loves conflict. It's a kind of friend, I'm sure you've met them, who loves strife and division. Who loves slander, even. When they hear about something that's going on, they cling on to it and they talk about it and they let it fill up their, their conversation and it starts to divide out the friendships around them. And even if this friend 
doesn't do this to you, even if they seem kind to you in the moment, even though they talk really poorly about those around them, they won't be kind to you forever. And the reason is because out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. And the proverb said that it's hatred that stirs up strife. And if this person's heart is full of hatred, it will just be a matter of time before that hatred starts spewing out towards you as well. And one day you might find that you will be hated by them. So don't make friends with those who love to stir up conflict. Lastly, the wise know that in this world there is a danger of false friendship. Look at Proverbs 10, verse 10, or 10, 10 to 11. There Solomon says, Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. See, friendship that is true friendship is whole friendship comes from a whole person where the heart from which the words come and the words that are spoken are all consistent and are all one. But there is a kind of friend that winks the eye, that speaks words of generosity and kindness, but it really just covers up a heart of violence, a heart of hatred, a heart of strife. And sadly, that means that when you make friends with a person like that, your friendship will be a false friendship. How often does that happen today, by the way? I think it's pretty frequent. I think especially when you start considering the ways that we often default to making friends on social media today. right? And as we make friends in these, these ways where lots of words can be shared on a screen or images shared on a screen, but the heart of friendship behind those things is not true friendship. It's not from a whole heart of love and care and blessing behind it. And much of it, I think friendship today, even if it's sincere in the moment, tends to be a shallow friendship. I think we're in a friendship drought in the city. Deep and true and pure friendship. The friends that do exist, that we do have, sometimes it's a shallow friendship or friends that, that are built around utility. You have something that I want or need. Therefore, you are my friend. Or perhaps friendship built around a shared pleasure. You enjoy doing something that I also enjoy, therefore we are friends. But friends, that sort of friendship is shallow because when you are no longer able to provide the thing that is the basis of that friendship, where does the friendship go? It will, eval- it will, it will evaporate. You know what the test of true friendship is? It's suffering. It's pain. It's hardship. When your life is falling apart and things aren't as they used to be, when you look up and see who is there caring for me and loving me, those are your friends. It speaks to a deeper and a purer friendship. All right then, so if we listen to Solomon and we heed these warnings, who then should we seek out to be our friends? What should we do positively? Well, we need to seek out I think four things. Not the person who entices towards sin, but the person who runs with you toward the goodness and the righteousness of God in his word. Pursue that person as your friend. Chase with them after Jesus. Don't pursue the fool who arrogantly mocks their need for God's forgiveness, 
but pursue the humble person. The person who is honest about their sin and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus and their love for God because of his generosity towards them. Don't pursue the person who stirs up strife, but pursue the one who delights to cover over even your offenses with love and with grace. Don't pursue the friend who's insincere and who loves you only as long as you give them what they want, but seek the wise friend, the one who loves deeply what is best, who loves God and his word and his people and his kingdom. See, the greatest friendships of all, the most excellent category of friendship are friendships built around virtue, around a shared love of what is beautiful and good and true. And there is nobody more beautiful and good and true than Jesus. And when our friends are built around a strong love for our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we love him most, we will be enabled to love one another better and truer. It will create honesty in our relationships. Because if we know Jesus, we know his love for us, that empowers you to be kind, the kind of person who speaks openly about who you really are. As you both understand your need for the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus, that creates vulnerability and openness. Friendships that have Jesus at the center, they're uncorrupted friendships. They're not based on an ulterior motive for that friendship. They're pure in their desire for what is best and for the good of the other person. They start to work on us and create us to be whole people so we would grow to become who God desires us to become. You know, I, I love Psalm 16, verse 3, because there we have a little glimpse into this sort of beautiful friendship that's built around a shared love for God. And in that psalm, the, the psalmist just overflows. He's effusive. He says, As for the saints in the land, those who love God, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Just a rejoicing in the friendship that is possible with God at the center. All right, Christ City, as we would move on, I know that there's something that, that I need to address here because I think that we can hear a sermon on friendship and we can start to think, oh no, Brent's going to churn now and tell me how I have to become best friends with everybody. And I want to alleviate you of that reality. Uh, that's not what you're called to do. In fact, you can't do that. The Bible knows that. God knows that. Your capacity is limited. And actually, I would say something else. If you're trying to become friends with every person here or every person in your life that you're close with, you need to stop doing that. You need to pull back and you need to work on becoming a good friend to someone rather than a bad friend to lots of people. It's better and more powerful for you to do that. And if you need biblical reason for this, know this. Even Jesus had this with his disciples. There are 12 disciples, 12 close friends, and three that were at the center of that. And Proverbs, in fact, when we look at the book of Proverbs, the word that is translated friend is rea. And rea is interesting because it translates both close friend as well as neighbor and companion. Recognizing there are circles to our friendships, levels of intimacy appropriate to these different places. But in each 
of these relationships, what God wants for you is better than you currently have. He wants to help you to grow to be an excellent and a good friend in all of your relationships. So let's look at our second point then in the ways that God wants to help us to become a friend to others. I want to show you a few things. First, notice how the wise person, they know that to become a true friend, they need to grow in loyalty. If you want to be a, a wise and good friend, you're going to have to grow in loyalty. Look at two verses, Proverbs 19:22 and 20 verse 6. What is desired in a man, writes Solomon, is steadfast love. And a poor man is better than a liar. 20 verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Steadfast love is an interesting phrase, and it translates a word in Hebrew, chesed. And chesed can be translated, I think, very concretely and helpfully for us today as loyalty. As loyalty commitment to another person. In the Proverbs, they understand that, that this loyalty is a rare thing. Solomon knows that, that what is desired in a man, what we all want, isn't this true? What we all want in a friend is just that they'd be our friend. They'd be there, that they'd be loyal to us. And they wouldn't be loyal just in words, oh yeah, I'll be there, I'll call you. And then never show up. It just goes to you. But a loyalty that's not just self-proclaiming. I'm steadfast in love. I'm loyal. Be my friend. But is actually true and deep and rich. What is needed in friendship is loyalty. To be loyal is to recognize that your life is bound to someone else. Friendship can rightly be described in the words of someone I was reading as a sweet obligation. Isn't that a beautiful way of thinking about friendship? A sweet obligation. I doubt that you think of your friends that way. (laughs) As a sweet obligation. It's a loyalty that is similar to the marriage covenant that we make or that you may have witnessed, the old covenant that says, for better or for poorer, in sickness or in health, in riches or in poverty, but a deep commitment of blessing to the other person. And this is what we long for. So we want in a friend, someone who's committed like that toward us. But notice this. When you keep all that in mind, notice this. The blessed and wise chesed person who's loyal, they don't first pursue getting loyal friends for them. They don't look out at Christ City Church, they show up here on a Sunday and say, all right, who's loyal? All right, I want them to be my friend. They don't do that. They actually reverse the order. They come in here and they wisely know, I must grow in loyalty. I, to be blessed in this life, must become the kind of person that is loyal towards others. Then my life will be full of the blessings that God would have for me in friendship. Look at this. There's a verse to back this up. 21.21 says this. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness. You know that word kindness is? It's chesed. It's loyalty. Whoever pursues righteousness and loyalty will find life and righteousness and honor. The one who chases after being a loyal person makes it the goal in their life, writes out in their journals at the beginning of the week, I want to become more loyal in this way today and this week. It's my goal. It's what I'm aiming 
at. That's the person who will find life and righteousness and honor. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing and I think it's counterintuitive. Because we all think that to get more blessed in friendships, we just need to find those people and take them for ourselves. But as we've been studying in the book of Proverbs, the way God's economy works in every area is the opposite of selfishness. The way that his universe works, the way that he has structured reality itself is that giving is blessing. That sacrifice is what gives life. That loyalty to others, committing to their good, is the means by which I will be blessed. To live well in God's world, we must live God's way as the one who is generous and kind to us and overflowing abundance and yet himself is blessed as a result. So hear me on this point. You will be blessed in rich friendship when you change your thinking from what can I get out of this to what can I give to this? What can I give to this? How can I bless this person? That's the first thing the wise person pursues. Loyalty is they grow in wisdom. Second, notice how the wise grows as a friend because they are willing to cover over faults. Look at Proverbs 17 verse 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats the matter separates close friends. See, because wise friends are lovingly loyal, when there is an offense, they don't highlight it. They don't repeat it over and over to themselves or to others, but actually with this care and this beauty and delicacy, they they cover over that offense with love. They cover over it with love. The reality is that as intimacy increases in your friendships, as you grow to have the sweet, rich, biblical friendships C.S. Lewis talked about, what's going to happen to you is this. Listen up. You will begin to see the vulnerabilities and the sin of others with more clarity. You're going to be welcomed into someone's life. And guess what? Here at Christ City Church, we're a mess. We're a mess here. We're all sinners who are here by the mercy and the love and the goodness and the kindness of Jesus, being blessed and and grown in him out of his generosity. So if you're going to be welcomed into our relationships, watch out. You're going to see some stuff in us. We're very much in progress. I need to develop the kind of character that is the character that covers it over offenses in love rather than latching on to the things that we see. Hey, by the way, did you see that so-and-so did that? And repeats these matters and grows the rumors. And what happens is that sort of a person, they're not a glue that bonds the community of Christ together. They are a crowbar that separates friendships and brings division into the church. So be loyal. Be loyal in your relationships. Cover over offenses in love, but don't do that blindly. True friendship is not mafia loyalty, right? There's like, there's mafia loyalty. It's like, I saw you whack that guy. It's all good. I won't tell anybody, right? Like, we're not doing that here in this church. It's not a cult. We're not going to go down that path. The wise person understands Third, that to grow to be a good friend, we must speak what is true to another person. He's got to be friendships that are also faithful. Faithful is that word for, for truth. We're oriented to God and to his reality about what is good. And we're willing to talk to other people about it. Look at 
Proverbs 27, verses 5 to 6. It says this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Even an open rebuke, embarrassing and public and in your face, it's better than someone who hides their love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Man, a lot of our unbiblical friendships that aren't very good, I mean, they just, they're full of flattery, right? They tell us good things all the time, but it's not true things, right? And they're unwilling to speak the truth that everyone sees, but no one will tell us. The true friends are willing to say hard things even when it introduces conflict temporarily into the relationship. If we're going to do this, Christy, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to have conversations with someone and you're going to share that thing that you have on your heart with them and the conversation is going to end with a bit of tension. And it's not going to be resolved immediately. You're going to have to, if you're going to be a good friend, learn to live with that. Learn to live that there will be moments when I share what is right and true and the conversation isn't tied up in a nice bow right away. But those words of truth that are spoken in love give the possibility of real transformation and real change in someone's life. As they go back and they think about what's been said. And the Holy Spirit can use that and apply it deeply to their hearts. And they grow. And in a good and wise friendship, this isn't a one-way street. I mean, who wants to be a friend with somebody who just constantly tells them the bad things about them? Right? And, and, and it's just this one-way barrage. That's brutal, right? Good, wise friendship receives, receives hard and true words. Look at Proverbs 17, 9 to 10. It says, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. All I got to do is hear from my friends a hard word and, and I don't reject it and fight it and turn away from it. I consider it. I had someone who's very wise tell me very recently that even when those words come from someone they don't respect, someone who they don't think is very wise, they take it as a grace of God, as an opportunity to examine their life before God and under his word. And I thought, man, I'm not that humble. <laughs> you know, it's hard enough to receive a rebuke from a friend that you love and who loves the Lord. But there's something in that, in, in considering these words that are shared. Now, of course, it would be horrible if everyone at Christ City Church took this to heart and we became the rebuke and correction church, right? And every time you come to Christ City, you can be confident that people will speak hard words to you. You're like, oh, I love it. I just need it. It's good for my soul. We don't want to become that church, Christ City. We don't want to become that church. There are heights and glories of sweet friendship to attain to. Sweet friendship that brings blessing. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 9. His oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Isn't that sweet? The comparison between this oil and perfume, the fragrance that fills the room when, when your friend walks in, they got the cologne on or the perfume on, and the sweetness of a friend and their earnest counsel. It's beautiful. It, it fills the air with blessing and, and richness and conversation with them. What it's pointing at is that there's a sweetness to true friendship, a, a sweetness that, that is so eager to use our tongues to bless other people. I think when we're always looking to rebuke someone else, it's because we don't actually want in our hearts just to bless them. But there's a sweetness of true friendship that's like, I, I want to bless you. There's an earnestness to this true friendship and counsel that, that wants your good, that overflows and, and looks for ways to encourage 
Using our tongues this way, it brings life. Look at Proverbs 18, 21. His death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Man, let this be a place where our tongues are used to speak life, to heal wounds. This church would be a place of healing for the broken because there's so much sweetness of friendship that's here. So let me ask you, do you have friends who love Jesus and his word and who you have given permission to to speak honestly in your life? I think it would be good for you to talk to that person and to give them permission. Our culture is a non-confrontational culture and oftentimes we need some help just to speak honestly with one another. So find that friend and ask them. On the other hand, strive to become a person who overflows richly with encouragement and blessings to other people. You can start simply by, if you have a good friend here in this room or somewhere in your life, you can start by telling them that. Say, you know what? You are a good friend to me. You've been such a blessing. Be specific. Take the time and become intentional to, to look and to observe how God is working in a person's life to, to see who they really are in order that you might praise those things that are rich and beautiful and good and true. Say, man, God made you uniquely and it's amazing. I see it. I see the way that he's at work in you and, and how this is happening. I want to praise you and bless you in it. Praise what you want to flourish in other people's lives, Christ City. The reality is that nobody has ever been too encouraged. So don't hold back. Don't hold back. And then there's a second point here that I think we need to take to heart on the encouragement piece. It's this. It's, it's I think that it's true. I was listening to, um, actually I shared with some of you guys a, a sermon about friendship. But I was, I'm stealing this from him because it's such a good point. I think that there are, are, are many of us who have such a negative inward monologue in our own hearts that we don't accept encouragement from others. In fact, we think we're righteous and pious because we accept rebukes, right? Like, oh yeah, I'm bad. I'm really a terrible sinner. And that just kind of hangs out in our hearts. And it makes it hard to receive the way that God delights in us, the way that he loves us. And when other people see those things in us and praise them, it makes it hard for us to humble ourselves to actually listen, to actually hear that good word and to cause it to bear fruit in our lives. So receive it. Let me encourage you. Receive encouragement. Be humble and receive through that encouragement the way that God wants to encourage you through them. And don't stop with words. Look at Proverbs 14, 23. And all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. The wise know that our love must never stop at our words, but also overflow in actions and blessings and deeds. All right, I want to show you something here. Friendship that is biblical is so powerful, it is even redemptive. It can fix what's broken. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 6. It says, By steadfast love, chesed, and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And I was looking at this, this passage earlier this week, and it stopped me in my tracks. Because it's not talking about iniquity being atoned for in, the, in your relationship with God. It's not saying, hey, now you can make yourself right with God by having 
faithful and true friendship. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that, that the way of living wisely in this world, according to God's wisdom and steadfast love and faithfulness, it's so rich and deep, God can even work through it to repair broken relationships. Relationships, by the way, that you have broken by your own sin. God is a God who repairs relationships. He's in the business of reconciliation. And what he wants to do in your life is empower you by his own love and by his own mercy, by his wisdom, to be the kind of person that says, you know what? I can confess my sin to that person that I've wronged. I can humbly ask for forgiveness. Would you forgive me for the way that I've wronged you? And you can begin to move, even though it feels impossible right now, towards that person saying, I'm going to become a loyal person to them. To live my life, to, to bless them. And even though the relationship's broken and they're not receiving it right now, if I orient my heart this way towards them, I'm confident that God will fulfill his promise to fix what is broken through that. Isn't that amazing? God loves to fix broken relationships by steadfast love and faithfulness. Iniquity is atoned for. Now, I confess that the more I've been thinking about friendship this week, the more I've been convicted by how poor of a friend I am. I was even driving on the road with Heather the other day, and I'm like, Heather, like, am, am I a loyal person at all? <laughs> like, I, 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 I don't think I am these things. And the more that I was convicted by that and struck by my failures, the more I was struck by our faithful and best friend, Jesus Christ. Because he loves us even when we've been terrible friends to him. Even when I've been a poor friend to others and the last friend in the world that anyone should choose as their friend, Jesus has been faithful to me. He's faithful to you. And he stands out as the best of all friends because he, he didn't choose friends who were righteous and loyal with good character. Think back to the Gospels. He, he chose Judas as his friend. Judas, who would betray him. He chose the 12 disciples to be his closest friends and they all abandoned him in his hour of need. And he's chosen you and me. He loved you and me and was our faithful friend when we were his enemies. When we've been at our worst, stuck in the worst of our sin. And for all of us, Jesus proves his love as a friend by laying down his life on the cross for us. And this is remarkable. Jesus is called the friend of sinners. It means that God, through the gospel, for the first time in human history, can be called your friend. The friend of the broken and the selfish. So if you feel alone this morning, if you lack friends, I want you to know that there is one friend who will never desert you. One friend who will never abandon you. One friend who will never forsake you. One friend who, as you read in our confession and assurance, is compassionate and sympathetic and understands your weakness. Who supports you and is there with you when it's hardest. And his name is Jesus. Only when you are secure with the best friend of all, Jesus Christ, a friend of sinners, will you then be able to become a friend to others. 
It's only as we're secure in him that we will have the strength to be a friend to other people. Because his breath, his death brings life and he pours out his spirit of friendship and love on us that we here at Christ City Church can become a community of friends. You know, this is what we're aiming at at Christ City Church. We're aiming at becoming a, a church. Our, our mission statement is that we are making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. But another way of saying that is that we're aiming at becoming a place where we're a community of friends. Like C.S. Lewis talked about leaving almost everything behind to live near your friends. That's what we're doing here. We're trying to reach our neighborhood by creating a sweetness and a richness in Jesus among friends who love the Lord, who encourage one another according to what is best and right and virtuous and true, and who can bring the broken and the hurting and the suffering in our neighborhoods into this place to be healed, to be forgiven, to be changed even as we are. Would you pray with me? God, we we come to you and we are in awe that we can be your friend. Jesus, we are in awe that, that you became a human being. You became lowly to suffer and die so that we'd be forgiven and reconciled with God as friends. Thank you. Would you so change us by the friendship that you give us that we would become loyal and good friends to others so that healing and redemption would be possible here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.